Are we ready? I mean, I guess we can dive into this. Yes. All right. Let's it do is it. time for Film Faves 1993. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. And here is. we go. <laughs> Very excited to talk about these films. <laughs> Film Faves is a countdown of our favorite, uh, 12 favorite movies of any given film topic. Others offer objective best of top 10 countdown with some honorable mentions. With Film Faves, we fill you in on a, on a topic and countdown our favorite dozen. That's it. Think of it as a celebration of film and an extra insight into what really gets us jazzed about movies. Uh, and also, hopefully, exposes you to something new as well. And, and to that point, we try to point out when something is available on some streaming services, uh, particularly Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and HBO Now. The March Through Time continues this time with the year 1993. Let's get on with it. While the year 1993 may not be considered as significant a year in film as what was to come in 1994, it was still a great year in terms of its large quantity of quality films. To start off, the most prestige of prestige films, and perhaps the greatest film of that decade, is Schindler's List. It was released and inevitably won the major awards. Other prestige pictures of the year included The Age of Innocence, In the Name of the Father, The Joy Luck Club, which until this year was the last film to consist of an all-Asian cast. The Piano, Philadelphia, The Reigns of the Day, and Surf Ninjas. Okay, maybe not that last one. What the hell is that? <laughs> it's nonsense. The foreign film circuit included Bella Epoch, Farewell My Concubine, Krzysztof Kieslowski's Three Colors Blue, the first of a trilogy, and of course, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. In the field of the silly or lowbrow comedy, Pauly Shore had his first leading role in Son-in-Law. There are also the spoofs Hot Shots Part 2, Fatal Instinct, and National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1. Horror fans were delighted by the promisingly titled Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday, which featured a final bit of fan service at the end that wouldn't pay off for another 10 years with Freddy vs. Jason. Also... Also, the third chapter in the Evil Dead series Army of Darkness thrilled many. And former Ewok and Nelwyn, Warwick Davis, plastered on the makeup to star in Leprechaun. Oh, so, God. Yeah, okay. right? All right. Alicia Silverstone made her debut in the thriller The Crush, and Macaulay Culkin turned bad in The Good Son. Other notable films of the year include The Addams Family Values, Carlito's Way, Dazed and Confused, Rising Sun, The Sandlot, Searching for Bobby Fischer, Shortcuts, Six Degrees of Separation, Will Smith's dramatic film debut, Three Musketeers, and What's Love Got to Do With It? No year is immune to crap, however, and 1993 had a fair share with Cop and a Half, Life with Mikey, Look Who's Talking Now, Mr. Nanny, Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, Son of the Pink Panther, Striking Distance, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Weekend at Bernie's 2, and the king of shitty video game movies, Super Mario Brothers. Aww. <laughs> that was fun to watch if, like, you're five or four. Uh-huh. All 
Woman. And I'm walking away from that. As with 1994, there were too many films I loved to fit on the list. Um, and I'm sure that's the case for Shanna as well. This is more so the case than last time with such films as Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, Cliffhanger, Cool Runnings, Demolition Man, Falling Down, The Firm, Manhattan Murder Mystery, inspired by deleted portions of Annie Hall, Much Ado About Nothing, The Nightmare Before Christmas, A Perfect World, and Rudy all falling off the list. Here are the ones that did make our list of our favorite films of 1993. Shanna? My number 12 is Schindler's List. It's at the bottom because it's one of those films where you can only watch it every once once in five years. Five years? Ooh, that's very frequent. I mean... I'm a ten-year lad. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think the next time... I think we've had this discussion before. I think the yeah. next time I'm going to watch it is probably when it's time for Logan to watch it. But it's worth, it's worth watching. It's worth looking at to gain an insight into the history of the Holocaust of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important. And it's shot in black and white. And I... Yeah, it's very well done. Oh, just phenomenal. And yeah. I really enjoy Liam Neeson's performance. Anyway, so Liam Neeson and black and white. They're my favorite things in this film. What is your number 12, Well, I love? just want to say also people will find that that was actually one of your favorite Steven Spielberg films back when we reviewed Ready Player One. Ah, uh, yes, I could not remember yeah. why we talked about it recently. We yeah. didn't do a war list. No, no, we will not be doing not. that. No. Uh, so my number 12 is, what is my number 12? My number 12 is Dave, starring Kevin Klein, Sigourney Weaver, Frank Langella, and many others. That's a political comedy. I'm all for political comedies a lot of the time. This is directed by Ivan Reitman of Ghostbusters. I'm totally down for Ivan Reitman movies. And it's just absolutely charming film. Yeah, you could probably pick apart the setup for the whole situation, but basically Kevin Klein plays both the president and a guy who looks like the president. And when the president has a heart attack in the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, Kevin Klein is hired to pose and replace the president. And there's this big evil scheme behind the whole thing. And, uh, you know, hilarity ensues, heartwarming nature ensues. It's, it's a lot of fun. What uh, is your number 11? My number 11 is Sleepless in Seattle. Wow, and... really? What? I'm, I'm surprised for you that it's that far down your list. Yeah, you know, it's not a, a, a absolute favorite, but uh-huh. it does sneak in there, and that's why it's number 11. And that's, you know, for anyone that doesn't know who's been under a rock, that's starring Tom Hanks, and Tom Hanks is recently widowed. And so, like any good son, his son goes on to gives a call to the radio talk show and says that his father needs a woman, essentially that his father's lonely and I like this film it shows a lot of really fun cute Seattle scenes you kind of have to know Seattle in order to figure out where they are and that's really exciting to me because when I came to live in Seattle I had not seen the film yet and my grandmother just carried on about how it always rains in Seattle (laughs) it's like Not when it's summer. (laughs) It does not rain when it's summer. In fact, we have craved that lately. 
But anyway, a really fun film, and it's available on Prime. Very cool. My next film is Fearless, which is a greatly overlooked Jeff Bridges starring vehicle, directed by Peter Weir. Jeff Bridges had a career revival of sorts with Crazy Heart and True Grit, but before then, his best performance may have been in Fearless, about a post-traumatic survival. The film, directed by Peter Weir, who some will know from Dead Poet Society, left quite an impression on me at an early age due to its compelling look at trauma and survivor's guilt. Its unflinchingly realistic plane crash sequence preceded those of many movies and TV and the TV series Lost about 10 years later. Rosie Perez won an Oscar for her performance as a woman who survived the crash but lost her toddler and is unable to move on. This is Bridges' show, though. He is disconnected from society and his family. He foolishly challenges the higher powers that be by frequently putting his life at risk. Perez's character is the only one he can relate to and feel compassion for. Fearless is a moving film and one of the most underrated in the careers of both its star and its director. I like that film too. That was a, a really good show that you gave me. I wasn't sure if you'd seen it. Very good. My number 10 is The Last Action Hero, and that stars Arnold Schwarzenegger and... Charles Dance. Thank you. Is that the child? No. Who's the child? Austin O'Brien, if I remember correctly. But Charles Dance, he starred in Game of Thrones as the Lannister father, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was... Oh, I thought he was someone else in Game of Thrones. (laughs) I get him confused, the Lannister father. I get confused with the man that was friends with the daughter that oh well spoilers okay we're just gonna whatever move on. <laughs> we're just, it's so freaking complicated to describe we're yeah. just gonna move on yeah so this was a really fun film for me a surprise it really? was like you know you've got willy wonka and the golden ticket well this is the golden ticket for movie lovers right. he gets the boy gets transported into the film and he's trying to convince swazhenegger that he's not real and because schwarzenegger plays uh an action hero yeah so john slater jack slater and the boy is a fan of jack slater films and so he's trying to tell jack slater like you're you're not real Mm -hmm. and what's really fun about this film is you know they move in between the different worlds uh there's crossovers and things like that and then you start to wonder, well, if you could go into any film, which film would you go into? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which film would you go into oh, if you had many. the choice? Yeah, that's a much bigger discussion. Yeah. Like, I, I have respect Star for Star Wars, Wars but I would not go into it. No? Okay. You know, I'd like, I like it over there, and I'm over here. I don't want to get killed by a lightsaber. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually don't know what film I would go into either. Yeah. Maybe Field of Dreams, actually. Ooh, that would be... Pick. That would be a good one to go into and check it out firsthand. Um, yes, that is actually a lot of fun. I actually am surprised by how fun it is. It's directed by John McTiernan, who he did The Hunt for Red October. He did Die Hard, Die Hard 3, just a bunch of really great action films. Mm-hmm. And he's playing with action uh, action movies of the time and, and leading up to that time. And, of course, the Schwarzenegger persona. And, and you're right about the question, because it also, it also suggests, 
ooh, if you could band together all these different characters from all these different movies mm -hmm. by crossing over into all these different movies, you know, what would that be like? And yeah. who, would you, who would you band together? And, you know. Well, and what if they saw their actor selves? Oh, because yeah. you do get to see that with uh, Schwarzenegger and Slater. Right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Slater fun. says, I don't actually like you. Right. <laughs> like... There's a lot of cameos, too, in the film. So it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a great pick. I'm really glad that it ended up on your list because that's a recent discovery for you, too. What's so, your number 10? Uh, Philadelphia. Ooh. Philadelphia. I have a whole series of movies that just moved me in 1993. And we're going to blow right through them right now. And Philadelphia is the second one. Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington, I think, doesn't get enough credit as um, for his performance as a homophobic attorney who takes Tom Hanks' case reluctantly. His performance and its subtle like insecurities about being around someone with AIDS and the arc that that character goes through that ends it with a full embrace is oh, really actually... Uh, one of the reasons why Denzel is Denzel as one of the great actors of, of the 90s. And Tom Hanks, of course, really earned gold with his performance as the attorney who not only is stricken with AIDS, but also was wrongfully terminated because he had AIDS by his lawyer firm. So uh, that's a really great film. There's a really uh, several powerful moments that just make me fall ever since I was 13 or 14 years old when I first saw this film including and most especially the final montage at the end of the film set to Neil Young's Philadelphia. Great film. Philadelphia. Oh gosh, yeah. just you talking about it makes me want to cry now. remember it now. Very yeah. good. Yeah, so what's your next film? Actually, it also invo involves lawyers. <laughs> it's The Firm oh. with Tom Cruise. A young lawyer joins a prestigious law firm only to discover that it has a sinister dark side. Evil and, law firm. Oh my gosh, the amount of effort that this firm puts into uh, essentially creating opportunities to get blackmail on the people they bring into the firm uh -huh. is fascinating it's like we've just spoken about rgb ruth bader ginsburg did i say it wrong yeah but it's all good okay see it's a her. problem because in photography you talk about rgb a lot so anyway <laughs> it's really interesting you know we've just spoken about how all the lawyers i've met are really decent people and they don't mess up and then you've got something like the firm it's like this fun little dark fantasy about lawyers i have a lot of fun with this film every time i see it very cool, very cool. My next film is What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which is available on Hulu. It stars Johnny Depp, Leonardo DiCaprio, Juliette Lewis, Mary Steenburgen, and several others. There were fil few films like Gilbert Grape, at least back in 1993. It's a small-town rural film with a quirky cast of characters. However, unlike other small-scale movies with quirky characters, the ones in Gilbert Grape aren't played for laughs. They feel as real as any rural community near you. In the center of it all, of course, is Gilbert, Johnny Depp in one of his best roles, a 20-something who begins to feel trapped by the needs of those around him and longs to escape. Leonardo DiCaprio impressed many as a powerful new talent with his convincing early performance as Arnie. 
Gilbert's developmentally disabled little brother, who causes a lot of headaches by regularly climbing the town's water tower. The rest of the cast includes Kevin Ty, John C. Riley, and Crispin Glover, all of whom bring quite a bit of humanity to the film, but no more than Darlene Cates as the Grape household's morbidly obese matriarch. In every other film, a character of her size is a one-dimensional joke. Here, she is a person, and partially what anchors Gilbert to his town, even if he sometimes is embarrassed by her. What's Eating Gilbert Grape was directed by Lassie Hallstrom, the Swedish director behind My Life as a Dog and The Cider House Rules. It is such a beautiful film, and Depp's performance is so quiet and moving that it angers me to think the Academy snubbed his performances in both this film and 1994's Ed Wood, failing to recognize his talent until a performance as broad and flamboyant as Captain Jack Sparrow. We, I, I was also pleasantly surprised when we, we watched the film to see how much this film really holds up. And DiCaprio is just mind-blowing. For someone who's 15, 16 years old, to capture with such dignity and accuracy someone with, uh, who's developmentally disabled, turning, I believe he's turning 18 in the movie, the, the character. Yeah. Just just absolutely extraordinary performance. So I adore What's Eating Gilbert Grape. My number eight is Dave. Oh, it I, is. Yeah, I got a real kick out of this one, and I thoroughly enjoyed the whole fantasy of, like, well, what happens if, for lack of better descriptive words, what happens if you have a mean president and then you have this opportunity to substitute someone else and they're actually a genuine person? Right. How do the tables turn? And just how the whole film unfolded was really quite enjoyable. And I love Sigourney Weaver a lot. I'm really glad that you enjoyed that film. I thought there was a chance you might. My number eight film is My Life. That's my number seven. No, really? Yeah. I'm very surprised. I didn't expect that on your list. So let me just say, My Mm. Life is a little scene film starring Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman. Yay, Nicole. Keaton plays a father-to-be who is secretly making a catalog of tapes for his future son about his family, important life lessons, and father-son bonding subjects like how to shave. The reason for these tapes is he is dying of cancer and not expected to live through his wife's pregnancy. I'll admit right off that this film makes me bawl like a little baby. Let's watch that now. Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. (laughs) It touches on so many aspects of fatherhood and the lessons that a father might hope to teach his son. The film's success depends entirely on Michael Keaton, who gives an incredibly touching performance. Nicole Kidman offers a decent amount of support, despite having the film's one cringeworthy line. Love us. Without spoiling anything, I'll say that I've never been so moved by the sight of a circus as I have in this film. Why is it on your list? I think that it's on my list because the concept of not being around for your child's birth when you're so close to having a child mm-hmm. is absolutely destroying mm. to my soul and psyche. And I really appreciate father-child relationship films because I think... A relationship with a father is a very complicated one. We don't get Darth Vader for no reason. And 
there's a reason we have those those father figures out there in film is I think it's very difficult for fathers and it's difficult for mothers too but I think that fathers have a very interesting challenge and so when I see something like my life it makes me really stop and appreciate what could be uh, rather than allow my mind to wander into the dark side of what fatherhood is. Fascinating. That is very interesting. Uh, that said, my next movie is Groundhog Day, which is available on <laughs> Netflix. Bill Murray stars as a man doomed to literally repeat the same day over and over again. That simple premise was enough to provide some of the best comedy of the decade. Ned Ryerson, Punk's Tawny Phil, I've Got You Babe, The Suicides. Thankfully, director Harold Ramis had more to offer than a simple gimmick with some gags. In order to unstick himself from time, Murray's character must become a better person, which partially involves a romance with a coworker played by Andy McDowell. Groundhog Day is a classic. The AFI named it among the 100 greatest comedies, and arguably Bill Murray's last great comedic performance. How many times do you suppose he relived that day, anyway? Does it actually say? No, it's, it's definitely up to interpretation. I think there, there's, there might be some interviews, though, with Harold Ramis or, or um, um, the I guy mean, who plays Ned Ryerson, uh, whose name escapes me, I forget right now, that might actually indicate. I mean, it must have been a year, <clears throat> at least. Yeah, it was at least 30 times, for sure. What's your next film? My next film is The Secret Garden. A young, recently orphaned girl is sent to England after living in India all her life. Once there, she begins to explore her new, seemingly isolated surroundings and its secrets. If you ever wondered what culture shock was like, this is the film to watch. Oh, you know, I, I couldn't remember what I could relate to so, so much. And it was definitely culture shock. This film stars Kate Maberly, Maggie Smith, oh. John Lynch, okay. just to name a few. I, I used to love this film when I was a kid. I used to watch it on repeat. It, it felt real to me, you know, compared to something like uh, The Little Princess. Okay. It, this felt like this could be my life. You know, like The Little Princess, that's not going to be my life, you know. <laughs> so it's nice to have options when you're a young girl. Well, that is my one regret that I did not get to catch up on uh, in preparation for Can this Can we watch list. that now? No, we're recording right no, now. No, I mean afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> my next film is Jurassic Park, which is available on Why Netflix. is it so low? Hold on to your butts. While this film drops a few spots due to a couple major continuity errors during the big T-Rex attack that were brought to my attention in recent years, Jurassic Park remains the best adaptation of a Michael Crichton novel and one of Spielberg's most exciting films of the last 30 years. The Velociraptors still scare and Jeff Goldblum as the film's chief skeptic still relieves the tension. You know, since there's been... Three other films, Jurassic, you know, Jurassic I think it's World. It's like four. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, because I'm forgetting about one of them. Yeah. So there's yeah. been four other films, and it's been a series of diminishing returns with a mild highlight with Jurassic World, which is still, that's a movie with that that's got a lot of problems too. Yes, many. 
The experience of seeing believably rendered dinosaurs walk the earth for the first time and the phenomenon that chomped its way into pop culture will never be captured again. And that's probably one of the reasons why this remains supreme. Hmm. My next film is my number five, which is probably going to be available for watching very soon here because, guys, we're in September and it is almost October. It is Hocus Pocus. This was my favorite. This, you know, the secret garden was like, okay, this is what England could be like. And then Hocus Pocus was, oh, this must be what America is like. Minus the witches, yes, you know. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> but, I, you know, there's just such cute architecture in this film. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is a film about three witch sisters who had been hung. And oh, yeah, it's hung. like three centuries later. So the three witches are Bette, Milder, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy... Najimi. Najimi. And... <laughs> Oh my god, these women are so amazing. They're my heroes, even though they're evil as fuck. You know, they they get resurrected in Salem, Massachusetts, on Halloween night, and the two teenagers, little girl and immortal cat, have to set things right. And the immortal cat is actually a main character in NCIS, the TV show, now. The cat is? Well, the person who is the cat. Ah, okay. Yeah. And that's just really fun to see him as well. And this has got like Thora Birch, I believe, is the girl. Yes, very young Thora Birch. And man, I fell in love with her. She is like my favorite (laughs) um, from that part of my life, you know. Yeah. And it's just always so much fun to watch. And I love the costuming. It's so pretty. Anyway. Uh, I, will, I will go crazy over a pick of mine as you have. This is your, this is my hocus pocus, so to speak, even though it's not a Halloween film. It is Gettysburg. Oh, get out. The year is 1863, less than a hundred years since the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Three years into the Civil War and less than 150 years ago. Actually, just over 150 years ago, now that I think about it. The Confederate and Union armies converge near Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, for a historic battle. It will end General Robert E. Lee's invasion of the North, result in the war's largest number of casualties, and lead to the Union's victory. This is the story of that three-day engagement and the principal players in it. The film, directed by Ronald F. Maxwell, at a runtime of over four hours, is deliberately paced and quite fatty with moments of pontificating monologues about the war and the relationships between characters of both sides. Pontificating. But it somehow never gets boring. No matter which half of the country you're from, it is without question the men depicted here on both sides are treated fairly and honored as generally good and admirable. What helps carry you through the film's mammoth length isn't so much that all of its strategizing and exposition actually goes somewhere, unlike the sequel Gods and Generals. It is Randy Edelman's rousing score and the incredible cast. Jeff Daniels, C. Thomas Howell, and Kevin Conway make up the Union's triumvirate Chamberlain Brothers and Sergeant Kilring. They hold a fantastically intense defensive front that must make up 40 minutes of the film. That battle and their relationship 
are the highlights of the film for me. Martin Sheen and Tom Berenger are the Confederacy's General Robert E. Lee and Lieutenant General James Longstreet. They respectfully debate the strategy behind their invasion, hearing each other out with high regard. The rest of the cast features Richard Jordan in his final role, Stephen Lane, future Avatar villain as Major General Pickett, Sam Elliott, cameos by Donald Logue, Ted Turner, George Lazenby, and Ken Burns, and thousands of Civil War reenactors. Gettysburg is the greatest depiction of the Civil War, albeit only a fraction of it, and one of the finest war films ever made. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> my next film, my number four, is Baji on the Beach. Oh, really? Baji yes. on the Beach? Yes, I do like this film very much. This is, a f- this is maybe a film we have spoken about, possibly in our F-rated episode. Yeah, because who's it directed by again? Is it Gurinder Chadha? Or is it Mira Nair? It is Gurinda Chada. Because, you know, it has like this really serious element to it. So it's Gurinda Chada. <laughs> oh, I, Mira Nair is actually usually the famous one, or the serious one. Uh, Gurinda Chada, oh, you know. I must have gone mixed she's up. She's the one with Bended like Beckham. And, <sighs> you know. That's why this felt a little different. That's right. Now yeah. I remember. Yeah. Uh, this this is, is her first film, right? Oh, gosh. I don't know. We'll have to look that up later. I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. It is her first film. Then who did Mississippi Masala? That would be, I think, Mira Nair. Oh, okay. All right. So this film is awesome. Mm. And let me tell you why. Because there's this wonderful big group of women of different ages, like really old, mid-teens, different life experiences, different problems in life. Every kind of woman is represented here. These women are of Indian descent and they are going from their, I guess it's more like an inland inland town in England and they go to the coast to Uh, visit the beach for a day. And that's where, you know, on the way to the beach and there's all this judgment and bitterness and trying to break free and all these different emotions and concepts among all these women and they're all judging each other. They're all upset at each other really until they get to the beach. And by the end of the day, they totally understand each other. What's awesome is at the end of this, at the end of this film, like these women get each other and that's just like so reassuring because yeah, women are kind of trained to judge each other to pieces. It's It doesn't matter if it's coming from your mother unintentionally. It doesn't matter if it's coming from the media. It just happens a lot. And it's really nice when there's a film out there that's showing how we can overcome the judgment of each other mm. uh, just by sharing experiences or seeing each other's experiences rather than just assuming we know what's going on because often we do. Very good. Very good. I will say that is a lighter toned film than you, it might sound like hearing you talk. And my next film is actually a very lighthearted film as well. You mentioned it before. It is Sleepless in Seattle, event available on Amazon Prime. Meg Ryan made three romantic comedies with Tom Hanks. Sleepless in Seattle is her best work with him. It's ironic then that this is the film where they share the least amount of screen time together. What that makes, is hilarious. Yeah. What makes it such a great film? It has a charm and strength of writing unmatched by Joe vs. the Volcano or You've Got Mail. 
Unlike many rom-coms, including the latter, the plot does not rely on the, the romantic leads refusing to initiate a particular conversation. No, instead the widowed Hanks must first re-enter the dating pool, Ryan must become aware of her passionless engagement, and then they must find each other. It is clearly by design that this film pays homage to one of the most conventionally romantic melodramas of Hollywood's golden age, and a fair to remember. Sleepless, with heart on its skyscraper, swoons at old notions of romance, and it is sweeter and more wholesome for it. The danger of the film, then, is its surface-level idealization of romantic love and its effects on any 13-year-olds who are looking to find true love, or even a date for that matter. Regardless, appearances by Rob Reiner, Rita Wilson, Rosie O'Donnell, Gabby Hoffman, and David Hyde Pierce help make this as delightful a confection as those heart-shaped boxes of chocolates. I love Sleepless in Seattle. It is my fourth favorite film of 1993. Shanna, what is your third favorite film of 1993? Groundhog Day. Oh, very good. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy time travel films, and this kind of falls into that category for me. And I just thoroughly enjoy the amount of growth that he goes through. I mean, I really do think that he was stuck in this loop at least for a year because when he started out, he was the biggest freaking jerk ever. Mm. And I just love the amount of thought that they put into creating this little town of what's going on everywhere, all these right. little nooks and crannies where he, they actually need Bill Murray. They actually need his help. They need him to step up and be a good person. Mm. And it has its fun moments because... <laughs> You know, like anyone, if you're if you're going to be stuck in that kind of situation of repetitive, you know, live the day over and over again, you're going to try a few different things <laughs> and you're going to mess up, but you're also going to learn from it. So it's almost like this accelerated, concentrated learning program for me on social and human behavior. Very cool. My third favorite film of 1993 is actually The Fugitive. Oh, really? Yes. I did forget about that one. That's exciting. It is perhaps the greatest movie based on a TV show ever. Mission Impossible is probably a close second. Harrison Ford plays a wealthy doctor on the hunt for his wife's one-armed killer, all the while eluding Tommy Lee Jones' wily U.S. Marshal. Here is a film that doesn't merely attempt to mimic its source, but instead rises to another level. It's an intelligent mystery with a couple clever twists, but also a great character-driven drama. Not only do we want Ford's Richard Kimball to succeed and marvel at his cunning, but we also come to appreciate Jones's Marshall and his bantering team of expert detectives. Also great is John James Newton Howard's score. And as much as I love Tommy Lee Jones in the film, and he is great, I do regret that he beat Leonardo DiCaprio for the acting prizes of supporting actor <gasps> that year. That's shocking and I terrible. Do I do think DiCaprio's performance was a more challenging and better and, 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 and a much more extraordinary performance. As much as and as fun as John, Tommy Lee Jones is in this film. I thought you were going to say as, as fun as it is to see Leonardo DiCaprio being mauled by a bear and oh, no, going yeah. through ice well, cold water. Yeah. That's what he had to do to get that Oscar, that poor, that's poor true. child. That's true. 
Uh, my number second, two, yeah, my number special, one. special number two is Jurassic Park. It is, okay. Available my God. Netflix. Yes, I love this film so damn much. I love the music. I I love the acting. I love that it's freaking Laura Dern in there. And I always forget that. Oh. And until I see her and I'm like, wait a second, you look familiar. And then I look a little deeper into her eyes and I'm like, there you are. I love you so much. And, you know, this film is very sentimental to me it's one of the first steven spielberg films we actually saw as kids we you know it was an et for us it was jurassic park and i'm totally okay with that when jurassic park came to south africa it was around the same time that land before time actually came to south africa i believe oh wow that's weird okay. and so there was this huge hype of dinosaur dinosaur merchandise and the equivalent of jc penny in south africa uh-huh. dedicated half a floor to all the dinosaur things okay. dinosaur clothing for kids dinosaur clothing for adults dinosaur plushies dinosaur mugs when i say dinosaur it wasn't like ordinary dinosaur it was it was either jurassic park or land before time merchandise okay. and it was amazing because it was my also first exposure to commercialism in that fashion where it was totally catered to a particular uh, category interesting so not only is the film special but also what they did commercially in south africa was very special to me very cool oh uh first of all i should go back and i don't think i mentioned that the fugitive is available on hbo now Oh, great. But my second favorite film is Mrs. Doubtfire. What? That's my first. Oh, good. It may be my favorite of Robin Williams' comedic roles. The film, directed by Christopher Columbus, Home Alone, and the first two Harry Potter films, taps into the truths of divorce and the bond between a father and his kids without getting sappy. Oh, yeah, it's also really funny. Harvey Firestein gives a memorable performance as the supportive gay makeup artist brother without whom the entire plot wouldn't be possible. Pierce Brosnan is great as the well-to-do man you want to hate who moves in on Daniel's ex-wife and kids. And I cannot hear Dude Looks Like a Lady without picturing Williams in drag rocking out while sweeping. I love this film so much, and I was reminded of how much I loved it when we watched uh, Robin Williams' documentary. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And it's funny because you spoke about Mrs. Doubtfire when we were speaking about that documentary Uh earlier i think that it's hilarious in the first place that he had to become essentially a nanny in order to practice stepping up to be there for his kids Mm -hmm. like he couldn't do it as a dad well he was there for his kids no he was there but he couldn't take it to the next level where you have to take it to the next level if you're a parent you have to discipline you have to Uh make sure things are done you have to run the household you know um especially if you're not the breadwinner you really do have to step up in a different way and it can be really difficult so i understand and i just i love the concept of him having to change himself in order to do that and of course in order to be near his kids Mm -hmm. and it was also really again here's another great father film where it's like he so badly wanted to be with his kids yeah. that this is what he did gotcha. no ordinary man does that yeah. you know it's it's not right to do that i'm just saying but 
it's so great to see father films like that, like Mrs. Doubtfire and My Life and maybe even a little bit of Ninjago, the Lego movie. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, it is a, a, a great father film, just film about fathers, as is My Life for sure. My top picks in that subject for sure. My favorite film of 1993 is Tombstone. The cast, what? the dialogue, the score. I love just about everything in this movie. It's amazing this film turned out as well as it did. The production was riddled with issues and director turnover. Check out this cast list. Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Bill Paxton, Sam Elliott, Michael Bean, Dana Delaney, Powers Booth, John Tenney, Stephen Lane, Thomas Hayden Church, Jason Priestley, Terry O'Quinn, Billy Zane, Michael Rooker, John Corbett, Billy Bob Thornton, Paul Ben Victor, Harry Carey Jr., Charlton Heston, and Robert Mitchum. <sighs> Kilmer is a particular standout, an achievement in itself with such a cast, as Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp's friend till the end. Also worth noting, Kevin Jari, screenwriter of Glory, wrote the script and directed Heston's scenes. George P. Cosmatos, who previously directed First Blood Part Two and Cobra, got the final director credit. Also, one Catherine Hardwick, who'd later direct 13 and Twilight, worked as the film's production designer. Interestingly, Tombstone was released six months before a similar film, Wyatt Earp, starring Kevin Costner. Apparently, this isn't much of a coincidence as Costner was originally interested in Tombstone, but felt Wyatt should be the main focus. He parted and made his own film. It did not do as well, as it, its gross failed to meet half its budget and only 11 of 26 critics reviewed it positively, according to Rotten Tomatoes. Tombstone, on the other hand, is the second best western of the 1990s, in my opinion. You know, you make that sound really appealing. <laughs> because it is! And this is why. Okay, so a year or two ago, I tried to show Shanna all the best westerns, you know, and I was striking out almost every single one, I think. I think there might yeah, have been one, much. maybe one that was in there that you like. But um, I decided, okay, she's not going to, we were getting to the Spaghetti Westerns and she was already done. And I was like, all right, Hail Mary Pass. If you don't like Tombstone, you don't like Westerns at all. I showed her Tombstone and she broke my heart. She did not <laughs> like it. <laughs> I, don't, I think that's a little dramatic. <laughs> I broke your heart. I would have broken your heart if I said I loved all the Star Wars films. And yeah. that people need to sit the fuck down and shut up. If... See, that would have just been a deal breaker. If you love yeah. the prequels of Star Wars <laughs> and you hated Tombstone, I don't know if we can Oh, really? <laughs> Hail Mary Potts. <laughs> All right, so what is your favorite film in 1993? That about does it for us. Email us at the Gibson Review at gmail.com.